Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It's interesting how the word observe in the New Testament Greek, it's talking about you scope them out, kind of has the idea of a microscope. You really focus on them. For the future or the posterity of that person is peace. So I want to look for a blameless person and an upright person. So you mark and observe, underline the word blameless and upright. So you're saying, okay, I need to have good people in my life to help me to get to spiritual maturity. I'm not there yet, and it's not going to come accidentally, but I'm intentionalizing this thing. I need help. I'm going to start looking. I'm going to observe who's blameless, who's upright, because I know that the end of their life will not be a smash-up. It's going to be peace. So I'm going to look for that person. I don't know the people around here. I'm just a new believer. I, don't even, I know some people are believers because they got bumper stickers on their car or something. That doesn't make them a believer. But how do I find them? Go to number two. This one could happen simultaneously while you're looking. Ask God for one. There is nothing wrong for you to ask God. If He wants you to come to spiritual maturity, and having right friends are going to help you do that, then what you're really saying to the Lord is, Oh God, this is what you want for me. So Lord, you know people's hearts. You're helping them with the same goal I have. Now Lord, they've they got to be on the island. They've got to be in my school. They've got to be on my job. They've got to be in my neighborhood. They've got to be in my church. Oh Lord, lead them to me. And David did the same thing. He recognized this too. Look at the verse. It says, And it was a prayer. He said, let those who fear you turn to me and those who know your testimony. Circle the word fear and the word know. Opening up the word fear. The word fear has a lot of different explanations. If I can synthesize it down to two, the word fear would not be necessarily, I'm so afraid of God. It would be the idea that I respect God. You want someone who values God, who like fear. I, I, I know there's electricity in the sockets. You heard me say that. I don't sit there worrying about electricity that I could get zapped, but I respect it enough that I won't lick a knife and stick it in the socket. So I'm not going to do something that's going to disappoint God. I, I don't want to stick God with a knife. But what I do want to do this, I want to respect him. So that's a part of fearing. I trust him. I trust him to keep his word. He'll bless me when I follow him. He'll discipline me if I don't. I respect him. I trust him but I'm also going to obey him. How can you respect someone that you won't allow influence your life? So if I respect God, then I'm going to let him influence my life. The next word is the word know his commandments. So the only way he influences my life today is by having the word and bringing the word of God into my life. So I'm going to fear him and I'm going to know him through the book. Those are the things you need in your life to get to spiritual maturity. But the context says to have other people join with you on that. So what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, I'm looking for the blameless person, the upright person. I'm staring, I'm looking, but Lord, I'm asking you that that person would already be fearing, respecting you and knowing your word because that's what I want to have in my life. And so I need to have that person already have it in their life so that I could have it in my life so we could be buds, prayer partners, study buddies. We're in this thing together, so now we're kind of locking arms. We're marching in step to spiritual maturity. If God laid it on David's heart to put that prayer in print, he did it for a reason, so that that truth would filter down to us today. And so now this is a good model for us. Now, would God have us pray a prayer that he refuses to ever answer? So if you're asking God for that kind of friend to help you to spiritual maturity, God will bring him to you. I believe that with all my heart and soul. So ask yourself this question, who is following God whom I should follow? Number two, 
There's always going to be a balance. So if you're going to follow the right, you also have to purposely forsake the bad. You can't have both good and bad people in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be throwing sand in the gears of your race car. So you've got to have it a well-oiled machine. But at the same time, you've got to forsake people who are bad examples. You have to forsake them. This is very hard for me to, to say that because I'm the kind of guy that says I want to help those who are the bad people to become good people. So if I forsake them, I'll never reach out to those bad kind of people. I, I realize all that tension. I, I, I really do. But what we're talking about now is not so much where we choose to be around that person for the purpose of only ministering, 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 not buddy, 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 let's go play, 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 because that's how you get into the jam. So what we're talking about now are those that you're going to now not just minister to as much, but the ones you're going to kind of bring into your sphere and you're kind of shucking and jiving and doing things together. And, and parents and teachers, I think you'll know what I mean. Young people, listen to this very carefully. If your goal is not to take drugs, I am not so concerned about a drug dealer that you've never met before that hides in a phone booth with an old jacket on and he says, come over here, what do you want to take? You'll never go to those guys. You know who you're going to go to? The person sitting next to you that's taking drugs because you're playing with them. You're not going to all of a sudden meet somebody necessarily, although today's society is different, and have sex with them. But it'll be one that you've already gotten real friendly with. You spend a lot of time with. And pretty soon, one thing touches another, and another thing comes off another. Then pretty soon, you know the rest of the story. So it's usually people that you know. So we're talking about forsaking those that will be in your sphere of playing and just kind of shucking and jiving with, because they will have that influence on you. And I'm not picking on the kids. We adults can have the same thing. We come to a certain part. You know, we get saved. We still hang on to our old friends. It happens a lot in marriages. You get a single person. They now get married, but they keep all their single friends. And they want to know, how come they start having this tension of, boy, I wish I had my freedom back again, you know? And then you got that going on. So it can happen at any age. And I've only given you a couple. I mean, there there are myriads of illustrations on this. So we talk about forsaking. I do have a hard time because I don't want to forsake the people that have needs. But I am saying I don't want them as my best buds because then there's, it's just not good for me. And I don't think it's biblical. Let's look at the verse. It says this. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, they're enemies of the cross, whose end is going to be destruction. They're God. It happens to be their belly. In other words, oh, my belly, I want to make sure it feels good. Oh, good, I want to fill that belly with everything I want. And whose glory is their shame. They like to do things that are just more nastier than the last time. Who set their mind on earthly things, which means opposite. They did not set their minds on heavenly things. And that's that verse. Now, I don't have time to pick this apart. It's so rich. But if you want to know, if you had to have a definition of who are the bad examples in my life, very simple. Here it is. Reduce it to a simple statement. Anyone who hinders you from spiritual maturity. If that person in any way is hindering you or not helping you is a bad example. And, and I, I'd like to see us go to the next level. Oh, they'll keep me from being spiritually mature. I, that, that's so negative. I, I don't want to even be around the people who aren't going to be cheerleading me to spiritual maturity. I want those that are calling me, reminding me, hey, what about that? Just working with me on this thing. Not those who are just, they're not bad, they're not good, they're kind of vanilla. Nothing against vanilla, but they're kind of, you know. I want those that are up there cheerleading, and that's what he's saying here. The other thing you want to underline or circle in the verse, it says, many walk. It seems like there are more bad examples and good examples, and so I'm waking up to the fact that it's going to be good, better, best, never let it rest with my friends until they're good and better and better is best. I've got to realize in a crowd that there are going to be a lot more ones I have to avoid than ones I'm going to embrace. 
Keep that in mind. So I have to ask the question, who are the enemies of the cross? If they're enemies of the cross, they're my enemies. What kind of people are they? In the passage, I think there are two. We talked about one already. Who should we forsake? Number one, legalists. Legalism is nothing more than rules replacing a relationship with Christ. So if you want in your margin, you can say legalism. That person who's involved in legalism, here's how they will manifest themselves. It will be all about rules. So you might think, well, a good person in my life is a person who keeps saying, don't do this, 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 don't do this. You better not do that. If you do this, you won't be spiritual. You know what I call those people? Critics. They're critical. They're gossipers. They're negative. They're always raining on the parade. They're loaded up with a lot of things where they think they're smarter and better than you, and they're putting down everything. They're control freaks. And so I want to be careful around those because God says that I'm disciplined by grace, not legalism. And so the legalists are going to, they're going to dump on, you're going to sound real spiritual because they're defining what Christianity is based on man-made laws and principles rather than on what God has to say. And they'll throw a proof text verse on the thing, usually out of context, without the power of the spirit or the right motive. And now you've got a legalist. And it tends to be the many that are the, the enemies of the cross are more legalists than they are the, the weird charlatan thieves. And we have to watch out for that. The second one is sensualists. That becomes Instead of all about rules, it's all about them. It's all about them. These are the people that they've got to go places, they've got to talk about stuff that's all about them. It's their flesh, it's gluttony, it's grossly immoral people. I call it pseudo-spiritual for legalism and sensuality for these kind of people. Now, why should we forsake them? Both legalists and sensualists, but the context speaks more to the sensualists. Why should I forsake them? Therefore, I don't need to even preach this very much. I think it says it all. They're going to be destroyed. Now watch. They're destroyed. If a bad person is driving a car and he's being distracted by all the stuff that's out there, all the stuff that's all about him. Hey, give me the phone. I've got to call somebody. Give me the phone. Right, I've got to call somebody. And I'm in the car with them. They're going to wreck the car. They're going to be destroyed. But because I'm in the car with them, I'm going to suffer similar or worse damages. Okay, now I'm not talking about driving in a car, although we could be. I'm talking more about if I'm on the road to spiritual maturity, they're not on the same road with me. They may want to talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk because their heart's not connected to God. That's all about them. If they're with me, God will discipline them. They're going to wreck. But if I'm walking in lockstep and I'm fellowshipping, going to parties, going to things, even going to youth group, going to Bible studies, consistently as, as best buds with them, I'm talking, not just attending stuff. When God disciplines them, we're going to be a part of the same wreck. Okay, number two, they gratify themselves. Their God is their belly. Just think gratify. What do they do about them? The Spirit of God will let you know what that means. I don't need to park long on that. It's just whatever feels good, do it for them. They glory in their shame. In other words, uh, the, the nastier the things that they can do, the more they get excited. It, it keeps, it's like a downward spiral. And then they desire earthly things. That kind of gives you the root of the whole issue. They don't talk much about the Lord. They're not going to bring up the Bible. They're not going to talk about going to church or spiritual matters. Remember, they're sensualists, not legalists. The legalists will do all of that, but they take it out of context, and they do it in the power of the flesh. So how do we forsake or break up with them? First of all, it depends on what kind of a Christian we choose to be. Now, I have the choice to look at those people that I should forsake and become a legalist myself and say, I don't need you. I don't like you. You're a bad person. Get out of my life. Nah, 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 nah. I can do that. But that's not what God wants me to do. He wants me to maintain my moral focus, which is on spiritual maturity. 
So now, watch this. I have the choice to go up and down with my friends. If they're spiritual, I'm spiritual. If they're not, I'm not. And so I become what we call a thermometer Christian. In other words, you'll know the spiritual temperature of our group by the most dominant person in the group. Or I could say, I am on the road to spiritual maturity. I am enough on this road now that I choose not to be a thermometer Christian. I'm not anywhere near there, but I have committed myself to be a thermostat Christian. Now, a thermostat Christian will set the temperature. One of my prayers for us as a facility, not as a faith family, but kind of connected, we will have what is known as a thermostat. And then we will decide here with the team that's supposed to decide this, what temperature do we need to set this at? Because now we will create the most comfortable temperature based on our room and what we can do here. And that's done not by a thermometer. A thermometer tells us how bad or good we are. The thermostat sets us to be how good we should be. And so what we're committing ourselves on that road is that we want to be a thermostat Christian. Now, young people, let me help you with this a little bit. Let's say now you have this, and older people, don't zone out. Let's say you say, I want to be spiritually mature. You are now inside. You know, you know what you're hearing is true. You know that it's right. And you're, you're, you're mad right now. You're glad and mad at the same time. You're glad because you know, you know, you know, you know. But you're mad because you're saying, now what do I do? I have so few friends. What in the world? I, I, I'm having a hard enough time connecting with these kids. And if I start going around and, and sticking my nose up at them and, oh, what's going to happen? I can't cut them out. There will be some that you have to cut out. You just got to say no. Listen, the verse says, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So step up. Take your medicine. Be right. However, I often find that it's better for me to stay committed to Christ Do not allow them to influence me when they want to go do something that might be good, but there's something that I know is better. I will choose to do what's better. By my choices, I often find that these kids will either do one of two things. They will either step up because I'm the thermostat Christian and I'm pulling them with me, or number two, they're going to get tired of me. Now, when they do, they can't handle that. So what they got to do then, then, is they got to tell my friends what a goody two-shoes you are, how you're this, you're that, you're, you're fake, you're spiritual, you're acting better than everybody else. And you really want to know something? Part of that is true. Because you've been a hypocrite around them, and all of a sudden you want to walk right, and all they remember is the times that you were on both sides of the fence. But I will tell you, over a period of time, that will change. And some of these kids, watch this, when they are heading into a tree of life of destruction, they're going to grab a hold of you and say, save me, help me. And they'll come to you. The choice is yours. And it's every one of your adults that are here too. And it's us pastors as well. It's everybody here has got to make that choice. So do we want to be a thermostat or a thermometer? So ask yourself, who is not following God whom I should avoid? Whom is not following God that I should avoid? Who is following God that I should follow? Who's not following God that I should avoid? Number three. Now, Everything I basically said in this message could be rewritten to a secular world of educators to the kids in your class to say, get around the good kids, get away from the bad kids. And I've given you some spiritual because that's the meat, that's what gives you all the reasons. But the biblical part of this whole message is not for you to go out of here with a pop psychology of get away from the bad and get around the good. You have to have a focus. And your focus has to be Christ, because if you don't keep Christ as your focus, then you'll be setting your own standards of who's good enough and who's bad enough, instead of letting Christ be your focus. So the center of your moral compass is going to be Christ. And so that's why we say focus on the best example. Now look at the verses, 20 and 21. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, meaning not here on this earth. So guys, you know, wise up. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, because we're still struggling on this road, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to not my working, but the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. All the power that Jesus has to subdue every power that ever existed, all of Satan's power that there is, and all of physical, earthly power is all subjected to him. All that power, he says, is now inside of you that you can do what's right. But you've got to keep your focus on Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. So you kids, if you say, I can't do this, you're right, you can, he can, so let him. If you say, you can't, you can't, you can, you can in him. So keep your focus on him. So there's no better example than Jesus. So here are three things to remember. First of all, the place called heaven. Don't forget, your place is still in heaven. So don't worry about being a little alone here on this earth for now. Maybe having less friends that you once had, but you have a place in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, which means that we're going to live with him. Two thoughts on this before I go to the next passage. This is so cool too. God has spoke to me so much through this passage Listen to this. This is so important. Those of you that are now going to embrace, I'm going to follow those who are good. How will you know if they're the good that we talked about? Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Now watch. When you decide to live for the Lord and you have to avoid those that are not good for you, I know that you will have a void and a vacuum in your life. And all of us can say, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's better to have nothing than to have bad. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you cast out so many demons, that Satan will bring even more into your life. So here's what you do. You focus on Jesus, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So until you find more kids over here to help you or more adults to help you, and even though you're all alone because now you're starting to see some kids walk to the beat of a wrong drummer, and you feel so much alone, he says, don't worry. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and you will not fear anything on your road to spiritual maturity. And this is too. He says, our home is in heaven. Listen, you may be having a little group of kids here and our, our, uh, and small Bible study adults here. But let me tell you, when we get to heaven, everybody in heaven is spiritually mature and you're going to be just chock full of all the right people up there. So if you don't have them here, don't shoot yourself so you go to heaven, but know that you've got heaven waiting for you when you get there. Number two, the person called Jesus Christ. We also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus I'm going to tell you that no matter how much we miss our earthly loved ones, when we are separated through military or mission or family or whatever, because we have some that are far from their family, even when you miss them, I have to tell you, Jesus is still there. And so we look eagerly for him and keep your focus on that. You want him as your best influencer in your life you can have. Number three, the promise called a changed body. We will look like him. So number one, we will live with him. Number two, we should long for him. And number three, we will look like him. So ask yourself, am I following Christ? He's my best and greatest example. We talked about following Christ. At the beginning of the message, I said, I'm going to tell you how you can go to heaven because all of our spiritual maturity is going to wind up when we die, we need to be in heaven. This is so cool. Remember, the message is not in this illustration, but the illustration is all about the message. Let my right hand represent you and me, and my wallet represents sin. The Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that because we're a sinner by nature and choice, when we die, we're going to spend eternity in hell separated from him. We're already separated, but when we die, we'll spend eternity there. The Bible says to go to heaven, I've got to be perfect to get there, but I'm not. I have sin on me. No good deed I do myself will get rid of that sin. I can try to clean up a new 
my life, be baptized, do all the religious things or social good deeds, but I can't get rid of that sin. I've been born with it. But now here's what Jesus is. This is what my left hand is going to represent God. It took on flesh. God says, I love you, but I hate your sin. You know why? He says, because your sin separates you from me, and I want you to be with me. It separates you from heaven, and I want you to be with me forever. But you can't do anything to get rid of that sin. You're not saved by your good works. So here's what Jesus did. He said, I love you, but I hate your sin. So he took all my sin on himself. He died, and he rose again. He says, I took care of the sin problem for you. Now what you've got to do is don't come to me with your good works. You just come to me just as you are as a sinner, which your sin's paid for now, and place your faith in me. And you won't perish, but have everlasting life. And the verse goes like this. For God so loved the world. Put your name there. For God so loved John and Jane, or whatever your name might be. For God so loved you, that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever you are, no matter how bad you've been, or whatever your life has been like, whoever you are, if you believe in Christ, you won't perish, but have everlasting life. Not behave, not believe and behave. Only believe in Christ, and you won't perish. Once you have Christ in you, Now you have a reason to be spiritually mature. You have power to become spiritually mature. And you have all the influences that God's going to do to help you to become all of that until you do get to heaven and you are fully mature. Let's pray, shall we? This is an opportunity that we give you to make some decisions between you and the Lord. These messages aren't given for you to have information or inspiration, but they're given for transformation. It begins by a heart decision. So are you lonely today, though you're sitting in a crowded room? Maybe some of you have been sold a bill of goods by your friends, and now you're left to have to pay the consequences. A messed up body, or a messed up family, a messed up life, a messed up career, messed up finances. Are you new in town, and you're looking to establish some new relationships? Are you new in this church, and you want to find some people with whom you can connect? Well, let me tell you. It starts by you choosing to be a person of positive influence on others. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, it'll come back to you. May I encourage those of you that are our guests and maybe others that have been here a while that today might be the day that you make the best decision of your life and that is to trust Christ alone to be your Savior. Would you simply say this to the Lord? It's not even so much a prayer as it is an acknowledgement. It's it's, it's a mental transaction. It's a connection with God that you're making. It's not just a head thing, but you're connecting. You might say this, Lord, I, I know I've done things wrong. I know I haven't been a good friend. I know that I've allowed my friends to get me into deep weeds. I'm a sinner. I know it. I can think of things that I know that I've done wrong. But Lord, I also believe that you love me enough to release me of all those sins. You forgave me of those. And Lord, I'm coming to you just as I am right now. I I need your forgiveness. And I'm counting on you to forgive me because you said you would. And so now I believe you died and rose again. And Lord, I want to say thank you for doing that because now I have eternal life in heaven. I'm going to heaven and I want to thank you. And Lord, thank you that I've been born again and I have a new destination, which is not only heaven, but it's spiritual maturity until I get there. I'm on a new road. But Lord, I'm like in this car and the key's on and the engine's running and... I'm touching the pedal. I know it's out there, that spiritual maturity, but would you have someone coach me and teach me how to drive? You don't do that to go to heaven. You do that because you are going to heaven, and now you want to arrive right without being wrecked. So if you'd like me to pray for you, my first request is if you're trusting Christ as your Savior in here today, and you'd like for me to pray for you. All right, is there anyone here now? Everybody's that would like me to pray for them because you're trusting Christ as your Savior today. Okay, Christians, this is the last for you.
How many of you would like to have prayer? Because now you're going to make some decisions that you and the Lord know you need to make about the influence of others who can affect your spiritual maturity. How many of you would like to have some prayers right now? God bless you. God bless you. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you that you are on the journey with us, that you have apprehended us for that great, great goal of spiritual maturity. And we now know that it's not going to happen accidentally, but intentionally. And we know how important it is to have the right people of influence in our life. Now, Father, it's my prayer that while we're seeking those to be the right influence in our life, and while we are looking for them, and while we're avoiding those who aren't, and while we're keeping our eyes on you, that we would also remember that we too are an influence. That we would be not someone that someone else should avoid, but that we would be someone that they should seek to look to for a positive influence because we're on the same journey with them and we want to make a difference. And I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.